Good morning, greetings in Christ's name to each one this morning. Thanks for those songs, Ken. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Um, I was thinking as we sat here, it's good to, good to be here, good to see each one again this week. Um, I know there's been people with health concerns and maybe children that were sick, and it's good to, good to see them back again. Um, does anybody know how many times your heart beats in a week? If you, weren't, if you weren't here since last Sunday, this time, how many, how many times did your heart beat since then? And we, we don't think about it, do we? It just, it just keeps beating. But at, at 80 beats per minute, I'm not quite sure if that's a, a great average or if it's a little low or high. Some of you would know a lot better than I do. Um, but at 80 beats per minute, your heart beat approximately 806,000 times since last Sunday morning at this time. So give God the glory for, for health and life. Thankful to be here. For a devotional meditation this morning, um, my thoughts came from that, that praise and worship song. Um, how, does it, how does that phrase go again? My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again. I like that repetition. Um, I'll run to the Father again and again and again. And I, I had to think how that relates to um, our children, those of you that, that have young children or have had young children. Maybe you kind of miss those days, I'm not sure, but um, my days, my working hours are fairly consistent, and the children don't always run out um, when I get home, but I enjoy when they do. It's not uncommon to see a, a dash down the steps. They're just about tripping down the steps as they, as they run and, and come out and say hi to me, and that's, a, that's definitely a highlight of, of my day right there. Um, probably starts out with them telling me something that happened throughout their day, um, something they accomplished in their, in their studies or, or something fun they did, and then they also spend time showing you their latest ouchies and their latest band-aids and things like that. Um, over the winter months, when it's not quite as easy to run out, a few times they had, they had started this little thing where as I was walking up the steps, I saw eyes peeking over the edge of the window and then the eyes would disappear. And uh, I'd get in the house, and everything was nice and quiet, you know, almost, almost too quiet. <laughs> um, they wanted me to come find them. And sometimes I would delay on purpose just to, just to make it more fun. Um, Mommy and I would get long-winded near the door or whatever, and I would start hearing people clear their throats, or I would start hearing them say, come find us, come find us. And I had to think about how that relates to, to our walk with the Lord, um, Sometimes we feel like we're running to him. Um, we're more than ready to, to see him. We're more than ready to, um, to meet him and tell him all about it. Uh, sometimes we might get busy with what we're doing and forget that, he even, that he's even there. Um, and then sometimes we, we might be tempted to hide. We might be tempted to, uh, yeah, hide from him. But it's kind of humorous if you think about it that we would hide from, or attempt to hide from the creator of the universe, a God that, that made all things and sees all things, and we in our weakness would attempt to hide from him. Um, so I won't, I won't make light of that, but it just kind of, 
we realize how frail that must look to him. And my children don't hide from me on purpose, at least I, I hope not. Not, not. not because they don't want me to see them. Um, it's more for fun. But, but I had to think about it. Even the comparison could be that my children are pretty miserable hiders when they want me to find them. And sometimes when I run from the Father, when I run away from the Father, I'm not hiding very long at all until I'm like, this is miserable. I, I don't like being stuck under the couch, or I don't like being stuck behind something. I, I want to see him to the point of where I'm a, I'm a pretty miserable hider. I'm actually making noises and, and reminding him to come look for me. Um, or if I'm not reminding him to, I'm, I'm sure hoping that he doesn't forget to come look for me. Um, and that's, that's where I would find myself um, in life a lot of times is we can be tempted to, to retract away from the Father if something's happening that we're, that we're not comfortable with or, or we make a mistake where we feel, we feel guilty. Um, the, enemy might, the enemy might tempt us to retract and, and, and be ashamed. And, and there's a certain part of shame that, that is healthy, I suppose. Um, but, I, but I know for a fact that our Father wants us to, to run to Him regardless. Um, there's a very good chance that our Father would rather have an imperfect child run to Him than a perfect child forget that He's, that he's even there. Um, and I, I know that comparing that to a, a dad or a mom getting home from work is a pretty frail comparison. Um, but oftentimes we are also tempted to say, I can't, I can't run to the Father. I can't, can't come into His presence uh, because of some mistakes I've made or, or an attitude I had or whatever, whatever it might have been. But my guess is that time, as much as any, is when He would want us to run to Him. Um, Open your Bibles to Psalm 18, if you care to. just want to read a few different verses in, uh, in Psalm. Psalm 18, verse 30. I'm going to be reading in the, in the King James. Some of the other versions may be a tiny bit easier to, to understand right when you first read them, but I, I do like the way the King James is, is worded as well. Psalm 18.30, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. I'm going to read Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. 
Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Now just a few verses in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 33 to 40. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. And now just two more, two more verses in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Very familiar verses. Some of my, some of my favorite. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So that's just a quick skim, skim over of a few verses that talk about the Father um, wanting relationship with us, and, and the fact that when our heart is set on Him, it makes us desire, desire a closer walk with Him, regardless of our performance, I guess you could say. Um, Obviously, we want, we want to make the right choices. Um, wrong choices are expensive. But we need to remember that our Father wants to see us. Our Father desires to see us, desires to see us running to Him, um, regardless of our imperfections, regardless of, of what bumps and bruises we have. Um, he, he desires that relationship with us far more than He desires our perfection. Um, so just a couple maybe practical ways that we can run to the Father. Um, we can't physically run to God, um, but we can make decisions and take actions that send us into his arms. Um, when, you, when you feel like you need the Father, or when something, when something comes up, good or bad, uh, something you're excited about or something that you're not, um, run to God immediately. Don't, don't delay. Um, Speak his name. There's, there's power in the name of Jesus. Um, and, and saying, speaking life to others, even speaking life to ourselves um, through God's word, I think is really powerful. So speak, speak the name of Christ. Uh, tell him what's on your heart. Um, and if you don't know how to talk about it, if you don't know what to say, uh, we talked about it in small group the other evening, um, that we can come to Christ and the Holy Spirit will speak for us. Um, 
even when we don't know what to say. That's, that's really encouraging to me. Ask the Lord for guidance. Um, God has given us the assurance of who he is in our lives through his word. So one of the most powerful things we can do is meditate on God's word, meditate on his promises, um, whether we feel strong or not. Um, in God's word, there's so many verses that, that point us to his goodness and his, the truth of, how he, of who he is in our life. Um, one thing that really blesses me is when I go into homes and I see verses um, on the wall or, or a sticky note or something like that on a, on a bathroom mirror or on a, on, when you walk into a business and you see a, a verse, a sticky note on somebody's desk. Um, I think that would be something we could all benefit from doing even more. Uh, put the truth of God's word in front of us where, where, it's, where it reminds us um, of who we are to God and how much, he, how much we mean to him. Um, write, it on, write it on your Bible, put it on your phone. Um, better yet, memorize it, but one of the best ways to memorize is to just keep it in front of us. Um, God is waiting with his arms wide open uh, for us, and I think we just need to encourage each other to be, to be even quicker to run to him um, when, we have, when we have something heavy on our, on our hearts. Um, I want to read the, the lyrics to the, the first verse of the song I referred to earlier. Uh, some of you would know it, and I, I really appreciate it. Um, it starts out, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again. Let's stand to pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. It truly is a, a blessing. Thank you for each one that was, is able to be back that, that may have skipped a few Sundays. Uh, thank you for the health that we, that we often enjoy. Help us not to take it for granted. Be with anyone who's traveling today. Um, give them safety and enjoyable time at their, where they're at. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the truth and the, the life that, that you want to give us. Um, help us not to run away from you, but to run, run towards you, Father, and allow you to, to work in our hearts. Um, guide and direct the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Father, we bow before you this morning and we thank you for the assurance we can have that we can be your children through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as fellow believers and to worship and praise you for this. We just pray you be with Brother John this morning as he shared what you've laid on his heart. As he looks into scripture and shares, may our hearts be open to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to everyone. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Thank you, whoever chose that song. It's very, very true. You might have seen the title, a um, bit of a, 
generic title possibly, Women of the Bible. Um, I would like to maybe over the course of a couple Sundays look at some of the women that were talked about in the Bible and kind of tried to maybe group them up a bit. Um, today, kind of maybe women um, of the beginnings, uh, some of the first women that um, played a, an influential part. Now, next Sunday is Mother's Day, and I think Lauren plans to talk some about that. And so I certainly don't want to overlap with what he's preparing. We try not to do that to each other. So today is not so much about mothers, although obviously uh, these women were mothers as well. I found it kind of interesting. Out of the roughly 3,000 names of people in the Bible, less than 100 are women's names. Now, I didn't actually count, so I take that for truth. Um, my thought would have been there was more than 100 women named, but maybe, maybe not. And out of all the recorded words spoken by people in the Bible, only about 1% were words that were spoken by women. And only about half of those 100 women that were named even have anything that they said recorded. So really the only words spoken by women are about 50 women or so, uh, comprise the, the majority of what little we have recorded of what women said in the Bible. Now at first glance, that appears a little unequal in the Bible's representation of the two genders, and in some ways it probably is. In the Old Testament especially, the women and children often weren't even counted when giving the size of a group. Uh, we think about feeding the 5,000. Probably that was simply men. Um, all the rest of them were assumed included. Um, when they numbered the children of Israel, the tribes, often they simply numbered the men. I don't understand this equality that the writers in the Bible had or even why God allowed his word to be written in that way. But that is not what we want to focus on today. Today we're going to look at a couple examples of women that we are given some record of. We have a lot of information about some, but only a very little about some others. And my goal is not to say which ones were good, which ones were bad. Um, women, just like the men they lived alongside, had their strengths, they had their faults. Um, and God used them in different ways as well. What did they face? How did God use them? Uh, these might be, in some ways, maybe more documentaries than sermons. I'm not trying to make strong points here. My goal is simply that we can hopefully identify with some of these women, um, the challenges they faced, what they did with those challenges, and how God was able to use them. So as an obvious starting point, um, we can look at Eve. Eve was the first woman, Eve was the first wife, and Eve was the first mother. She was created by God as a final piece in his creation. If you would, turn with me to Genesis 2. <clears throat> Genesis 2, verse 18 through 25. Verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Now we pause here for a minute. God had finished his creation, and he had pronounced everything up until this point 
either good or very good. And now he pauses and says, this is not good. This is the first that God said it's not good in what he was doing. Um, there's something missing here. Now, the order of events here isn't quite clear. Um, the way as it appears in the Bible here, it's written after the six days of creation because at the beginning of chapter 2, God rested. And yet, if we go back um, to where day 6 is talked about in chapter 1, verse 27, it says God created man in his own image and he created male and female. So I'm, I'm thinking Eve was created on the sixth day like, like Adam was. It, it's a little vague here when you actually look at it, but I think it's just reversed in order here in the Bible. So we think about it, Adam had a pretty busy um, day, his first day on earth. Uh, God created him, and then he created the animals, and Adam right away got busy naming animals, and I suppose that took him a while. And then um, towards evening, he got a wife. So I would say he was off to a, a good running start there on his first day on earth. Um, but either way, God recognized that his creation was missing something. The man that he had created was alone. And as Adam discovered, as he was naming animals, they all had companions, but he did not. I don't believe that this was an oversight in God's plan. I believe that he, the method that he, that, that he then used to create the woman was different for a reason. So let's read on. Uh, verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." So in verse 23, Adam recognizes the way that Eve was created and that it made her special to him in the way that the animals did not share. He recognized um, that she actually came from him and was not created from dust like everything else was. In verse 24, uh, the verse that's often used at weddings, and it again refers back to God's method here of literally taking, making two people from one person and therefore, it's saying essentially these two people are the same person. And that is God's view of, of marriage. Uh, no longer two separate people, but one. Um, in the same way that this is my arm from my body, and it can never be somebody else's arm, um, so are a husband and wife, as long as they are both living so verse 25 then speaks of that complete openness and oneness with each other. Um, just as my two arms are generally not ashamed of each other, um, but they work in complete agreement and cooperation with each other because they are the same person. So God's plan for marriage is the same way. That's how marriage should function as well. Um, basically two components of the same body. So marriage was given primarily by God to illustrate to us the type of relationship he wishes to have with us, his bride, the church, um, open, honest, without shame. But unfortunately, here at the beginning, this perfectness didn't last for very long. If we would look on into chapter 3, we see Satan, the serpent, 
tempting Eve, causing her to doubt God, and her sin caused an immediate breakdown in that new marriage that probably wasn't very old yet. So uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, When the woman saw the tree that was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So this marriage is no longer as perfect as it was a few verses ago. Um, There is now division. Eve made an independent choice to do what she did without consulting Adam, and Adam then failed to do his part in recognizing and exposing the deception that Satan was bringing, and together um, they fell into sin. And we read that even um, the openness between them was no longer perfect. They became ashamed. And later on in verse 12, we read that when God uh, came and started asking what happened, they started blaming each other, and they even started blaming God um, for what they had done. And again, that's like one of my feet blaming the other because, well, the one keeps tripping, you know, and can't you get along? Um, So each of my feet have an equal responsibility, and each of the man and wife both have an equal responsibility in marriage as well. Like I said, verse 7 then, for a separation, a shame between themselves, they were no longer functioning as one, sin had changed that. And so Satan had, unfortunately, successfully marred that perfect oneness that God had intended man and woman to share. Unfortunately, look through the Bible, and look through the, the women in the Bible, we will see that some um, allowed a separation to come between God and his plan, and others were then great examples of being used by God as he directed them. The good news is God did not completely cut Eve off because of her sin. Uh, through her descendants was then the, the coming Messiah was promised. Um, that is also found almost immediately. And then we also see where she is called the mother of all living. So God recognized that even though she did fall, um, she did sin, she still had a purpose, she still had a plan, and God did continue to use her for that plan. Everyone who has ever lived, besides Adam, can claim Eve as their distant mother. And we have no record of how long Eve lived, But we do know that Adam lived to within a few years of when Noah was born, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's, I don't know, less than 50 years of where Noah was was born, of course, the flood. So we don't know, did Eve live that long as well? Um, Did she see her great, 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 great grandchildren? We don't know that. But it would be interesting um, to hear possibly someday from her perspective of what uh, what, what her life was like. We don't read much of her beyond the first little bit here. We move on to uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, first known as Sarai. We read of her at the end of Genesis 11. And one of the first things that we learn about her is that she had no children. Now we know in the Old Testament times, uh, uh, God blessed men with lots of land, lots of cattle, lots of possessions, and he blessed the women with children. And if a man had lots of possessions, It indicated that God was pleased with him, and God was blessing him. And if he didn't have many, it indicated God was maybe not so pleased with him. And the same principle kind of applied to the women, the number of children they had as well. 
So God operated in a much more visible, uh, physical way in the Old Testament. And today He operates through us, lives within us. And His blessings come in different ways. Um, I'm thankful that His blessings are not counted by cattle or I would be in very short supply. And the same is also true in other ways. Um, He blesses us in very, very different ways than what He did in the Old Testament. So Sarai followed her husband Abram. God called them to a journey, um, a pretty much open-ended journey, uh, unknown length to an unknown destination. And God had given them a promise to make their descendants too many to number, and yet Sarai did not have any children. And so I can imagine her frustration. Um, God had given her a promise, and it was not being fulfilled. So what does one do when you're out of patience and you just simply can't wait? Sarai chose to maybe give God a little help in what, his, what she thought his plan was. So we turn to Genesis chapter 16. Read the first 13 verses. Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I had given my maid into thy bosom. When she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face." And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, that thou God seest me, for she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? So we have the story here of Sarai giving her maid, Hagar, um, to Abram in an attempt to have children. Um, and we could kind of blame Sarai for, maybe we'd say, stepping ahead of God. But I think we under, need to understand possibly how much of a giving up it took on Sarai's part to do what she did. Uh, no one wants to admit that they are inadequate. And no one wants to admit they failed at something, even if it's something like this that was totally outside of her control. So while we may be hard on Sarah for her decision, I suspect it did take a certain degree of unselfishness on her part to allow someone else to take the place that she had longed for years to fill. And we look here at the results. Um, immediately, it did not turn out well. Um, Sarah or Hagar uh, possibly did not respond in a very gracious way. 
and Sarai scorned her and attempted to just simply get her out of sight. Let's look at Hagar for a minute here as well. Uh, as we know here, she was Sarai's servant girl. I'm assuming quite a bit younger. She was an Egyptian, most likely purchased by Abram at some time or another. We do know that Abraham and Sarai went through Egypt. That's a kind of a separate story. And possibly he got her there. We don't know. Uh, the idea of multiple wives, concubines, was unfortunately quite common in those times. And any children resulting from those unions were considered heirs of the father without a lot of regard to who the mother was. So the idea of a man producing heirs by kind of any means possible, including servant girls, was also unfortunately quite common. Now, we do know this certainly violated the marriage model of one man, one woman God had set up back with Adam and Eve, and yet it was practiced by many of the men that we are familiar with here in the Old Testament. And again, how God allowed that, how he ignored it, I don't know. Um, that's God's the judge. But at the very least, we see here, um, as in other places, that it caused a lot of strife, a lot of contention uh, among the multiple wives, even among the wives and the man. Uh, so certainly, common sense would indicate that outside of what God had to say about it, it was not a good idea. So Hagar probably had very little choice in the matter, and she responded by running away when she learned she was expecting. Years later then, uh, Abram did send her and Ishmael away permanently after Isaac was born because the two boys couldn't get along, um, obviously direct competitors in their minds, uh, again, probably because of how their moms couldn't get along, I'm guessing as well. So Hagar, through no fault of her own, found herself in an extremely difficult situation here. The circumstances that were forced upon her cost her her home, cost her security. Um, she ended up in the desert, uh, very nearly starving, very nearly dying. And they also presented her with a son to care for by whatever means she could find, again, without support of husband, without support of family, and in that setting um, where they were probably more alone um, as far as Abraham's uh, family and, and, and uh, following, there probably weren't a lot of other places to go to for help. And yet we do notice a couple of things. Uh, God did extend some of the blessings to Hagar and Ishmael that he had intended and promised for Abraham and Isaac. Uh, in verse 10, the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, it shall not be numbered for multitude. And this is really the same promise that God had given Abraham for his descendants. So here we see how um, Hagar was not part of God's plan, and yet God's promise also applied to her because she was caught in the middle there. So Ishmael became a num uh, the father of a great nation. Um, the Arabs, others in the Middle East, were descended from him. And unfortunately, the rivalry that, be that began between Isaac and Ishmael continue to this day between their descendants, the Arabs, the Jews, and will continue to the end of time. So that little choice of Sarai's there had um, implications, had consequences that continue on through thousands, millions of people, thousands of years. Um, that, that little bit of, of uh, getting ahead of things caused strife that still continues to this day. 
It's interesting, as I said, to note that even though Hagar was not part of God's original plan, he did bless them as well. And we read elsewhere that Ishmael had 12 sons. Uh, he was blessed with 12 sons, the same number as the tribes of Israel. So I just found that kind of, yeah, interesting that, that God, God still holds true to his blessing, uh, even though she was not the intended recipient of it uh, from the beginning. So back to Sarai, God still had a plan for her, even if, it, even if she did insist on running ahead of him. And God waited to implement his plan until Sarai's plan had failed, and until she was too old to even consider the possibility of having children anymore. If we look at Genesis 17, we can see God's continuing plan unfolding. Genesis 17, uh, the first eight verses, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God, and walk before me, and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many nations, neither shall thy name be any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for, for an everlasting covenant to be God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Skipping on to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, be, shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless thee, and she shall be mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So here we see that God was introducing um, the, his covenant with Abraham, beginning the special relationship of what would become the, his God's chosen people, the Jews. And Abraham again tried to divert it back to Ishmael, and God said, No, um, you will have your, another son, that uh, Isaac, and the blessing will go to him. God also changed their names from uh, Abram and Sarah to Abraham and Sarah and kind of signifying possibly a new beginning, a new chapter in their lives. And if we go on down then to uh, chapter 18. Where am I here? Sorry. Chapter 18, verse 9. Uh, this is when the two messengers came, and they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I waxed too 
Old shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I'd laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, thou didst laugh. So here again, Sarah had the exact same response as Abraham did to the promise, um, just simply not believing what God had to say, uh, not because they found God to be funny, I don't think, but just simply the absurdity um, in their minds of God's timing, that after all these years, all this waiting, uh, that God would actually um, do what he had promised, that he would have, that he would give them a son. But obviously this was God's intention. Um, he did later send his own son to earth in a humanly impossible way, born to a virgin. And he also began his chosen people in an equally humanly impossible way by a man and his wife who were far past their childbearing years and who also laughed at his plan. And yet Abraham and Sarah both have their names listed in Hebrews 11, what we call the faith chapter. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 11 says, Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So even though Sarah's initial reaction was one of doubt, uh, skepticism, um, we do read that her foundation of faith was strong enough for her to act on God's promise once again. Um, she did not give up on God, but still believed him enough to, enough to do what he had promised, or to do what he commanded. And if we then, Genesis 21, 1 through 6, we get her response there. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Sarah was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God made me to laugh so that all that here will laugh with me. So now she's laughing again. But instead of a laugh of doubt, her laugh is now one, I believe, of amazement at what God was able to do, even when they had mostly given up on him. And I'm going to kind of end with that today. I know it's a little shorter here today. Um, there's more women that I'll probably look at at some future time that we can learn from. Uh, but I wanted to start with this once. And looking at their lives, uh, they lived everyday lives like you and I do. They were human. Yes, they were written about in the Bible, uh, but they were not perfect. And they were people just like you and I were, are. So let's stand for closing prayer, and then let's remain standing for the final song. Father in heaven, we thank you for the examples of ordinary people you have given us in your word, people with problems, with doubts, just like we have. Thank you for the way that you worked through their lives, the way that it was obvious that it was you working and not their abilities. Give us the same faith and reliance on you. We ask your guidance, direction in the next week ahead of us. Give us safety until we meet here again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.